Welcome to Partnering Leadership, a top global leadership podcast for purpose-driven leaders with a growth mindset seeking to learn from the leadership journey of change makers and business insights from leading global thinkers. Tuesday conversations with CEOs from the greater Washington, D.C. region and Thursday conversations with best-selling leadership book authors and business thinkers. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm really excited this week to be welcoming Richard Waugh to talk about emotional intelligence for epic leadership, leading with empathy, purpose, inspiration, and connection. Richard has spent decades training and mentoring leaders in emotional and social intelligence, and he now serves as worldwide head of epic leadership at Amazon Web Services. I really enjoy this conversation because emotional intelligence is critical to the way we relate to each other in the work environment and how those deepening connections can lead to us having greater satisfaction in the work that we do and accomplishing more. I learned a lot from Richard, and I'm sure you will too. I also enjoy hearing from you. Keep your comments coming. Mahanatmahantavikoli.com. There is a microphone icon on partneringleadership.com. You can leave voice messages for me there if you choose. Now, here is my conversation with Richard Waugh. Rich Waugh, welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm thrilled to have you in this conversation with me. Thank you very much. I'm equally thrilled to be in this. So thank you for inviting me. Love your thoughts on emotional intelligence and what you've been able to do in training 150,000 plus people at Amazon. But before we talk about emotional intelligence and the role it can play both in our professional leadership and organizational success, would love to know whereabouts you grew up and how your upbringing, Rich, impacted the kind of person you've become. Yeah, I was born in Taiwan. And I came to America when I was about three and a half years old. And let's just say it was a really challenging experience. There were several things against me. One is I was incredibly socially awkward. Number two is uh, I had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. I mean, it literally was a terror, just like the Tasmanian <laughs> devil cruising around, breaking stuff all over the place. And three, I couldn't speak English. And uh, I spoke Chinese at home. So when I went out of my house, I didn't know how to communicate with anyone. So what happened was that I didn't know how to interact. I didn't know how to make friends. I had no friends. And even in kindergarten, when I went to my first several classes in America, my teacher thought I was cognitively impaired because I couldn't speak English. So she literally stuck me in the corner and uh, I was treated like that for a few months until I figured out, oh my goodness, this is not a cognitive issue. This actually doesn't speak the language. So let's just say my childhood was pretty unpleasant in different ways. Now, my family loved me. That was really great. I'm very grateful for my mom and dad and my sister. But I faced bullying. I faced racism. I faced a lot of loneliness and anger and disappointment. So what I decided to do was I decided to shut off all my emotions. I'm like, okay, suck it up. These aren't going to help you. So just go forward and try to be as robotic as possible because most emotions are basically unpleasant. They stink. I was pretty smart. So I thought, let me be a genius robot. And that was my goal, Mr. Spock on Star Trek. And it worked for a while. I got through high school, got straight A's, took honors classes, actually got a perfect score on the SAT, and then got into every school I applied to. 
And you guessed it, I studied engineering, um, <laughs> avoid and all that interpersonal stuff. And then something completely messed up my plan when I was 21 and just graduated from college. It was called, I got married. And uh, my wife was <laughs> like, hey, wait a minute. I really want that interpersonal, emotional side to come out more. And so she was actually a great inspiration to me to delve more into that and move more away from the robotic side to more of the sort of human side, the less Spock, more Captain Kirk. And then the other thing that happened was, even though I studied electrical engineering computer science at Berkeley, I really felt a calling to work with people and I decided to become a missionary. So I wound up going to the Philippines, serving there for several years as a missionary, and then wound up being an evangelist actually in the San Francisco Bay Area for another 20 years. And so from both a personal perspective of my marriage and my family and a professional perspective, like being an actual minister I thought that empathy, emotion, social skills might actually be valuable. And so that began my sort of transformation in my early 20s. What a beautiful transformation. It's been rich. I also want to highlight the fact that I start out every one of these conversations, whether it's with the regional change makers, CEOs in the greater Washington, D.C. region, or the global thought leaders, by asking them about their own upbringing and how it's impacted them. It's interesting how our upbringings impact us. Many people have not gone in as much depth as it sounds like you have in trying to understand what you were like and what needed to change for you to become the new version of you. So were there moments that helped with that transformation in your mind as you were reflecting on your upbringing? Yeah, I'd say there was a really big moment when I was in college. I'm a very ambitious person. I always wanted to be the best and get the highest grade. And don't get me into any kind of competition because I'm like, I will kill myself to win <laughs> and I hate losing. And I remember taking a walk with a good friend of mine, kind of like a mentor. He was like, why do you think you're like this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like this. He goes, no, no, think about it. Like, why are you so competitive? Why do you have to win all the time? Why are you almost a jerk a little bit if you lose? What is going on? I really had to sit and think, and what I realized from that conversation after some self-reflection was that I actually have a bit of a deep insecurity about being accepted and being cared about and the risk of sounding mushy, being loved, because I didn't have a whole lot of that. So I thought, you know what? If people aren't going to like me, at least they're going to respect me. And they're going to respect me because I beat them. And if they don't want to be my friend, at least they'll envy the Lamborghini that I drive up for my high school reunion. <laughs> Pretty much how I thought about it. So I kind of had a, an emotional and spiritual awakening. And I realized what's actually motivating me. And what I actually came to the realization was what I actually want is what pretty much everyone wants. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. They want to have a meaningful, purposeful life. And I was just going about in a wonky direction by trying to beat everyone. And I thought, you know what, instead of doing that, why don't I actually try to actually care about other people and help people? And that seems like a more successful route to actually getting <laughs> what I'm truly looking for. So that was actually a big part of why I decided to go from engineering and try to do the IT startup, make a billion dollars thing to actually being a missionary, kind of a big change in my life. And I don't regret it for one minute. It was literally the best decision I ever made because I truly found the thing that would make me happier. I know you have talked to Daniel Goldman, and he talks about self-awareness being that first element of emotional intelligence. Yeah. You did a lot of 
self-discovery and self-awareness that helped with your own emotional intelligence, whether it is through the question your friend asked you or through serving as an evangelist for 23 years. Yeah, both for sure. And it's a foundational thing, right? Because at the end of the day, emotional intelligence has different facets. There's self-awareness and then there's self-management. And then there's emotional empathy and social awareness and then relationship management. But you can't do any of the other things unless you're like first self-aware. And that is perhaps the most foundational, but one of the toughest things to do. I was actually listening to Bill George talk about authentic leadership. And he says something similar. If you want to be an authentic leader, the first thing you got to do is be self-aware. Like, how can you be authentic if you don't know who you are? So it sounds so basic. It's almost ridiculous, but it is something that we don't maybe do enough because we're just so busy or running, doing whatever we're doing, but it pays such incredible dividends if we're willing to do that. Since we're talking about self-awareness, Rich, I would love to get your thoughts and perspectives as both you have done this at Amazon and just been a student of emotional intelligence. What I find in my experience is that many of us, the more experience we gain and the higher up we move in status within organizations with positional authority, we end up having less self-awareness because there is less feedback and genuine feedback that we get. So what do you do and what do you advise to leaders to do in order to continually nurture that self-awareness? Yeah, I love this question because I talk about it a lot. First for my own life, the impact it's made and then to help others. So there's this really interesting balance that's going on because the research has found that as you mature and grow in life, you actually tend to become more emotionally intelligent, become more empathetic, become more aware. It's just experiences that teach you things if you're willing to learn. On the other hand, as a counterpoint, the higher you rise in organization, the more successful you become. Like you just mentioned, you might get less feedback for different reasons. And so there's a little bit of that balance, right? And comes from this idea of being willing to self-reflect and being willing to ask other people for some insight into who you are. And if we're willing to do that, then those two things can actually really help us. What the research has actually found is that when people go higher in leadership, it's not that they're less willing to listen to feedback. They have less fewer avenues to get it because they're either more removed from the front lines or let's face it, fewer and fewer people are willing to tell you the truth because, you know, might have career consequences. And so what I tell people is always take regular time to reflect. Think about your day. Think about your week. What did I do this week that I'm proud of? What did I do this week that I'm not proud of? What are things I feel like I'm really accomplished? What were things I really feel like I wanted to accomplish, but I didn't? Even fundamental things like, what are actually my values? Do I really know what they are? And am I living those out? So time of self-reflection is very important. But then the other piece is just asking for other people's perspective. You can call it whatever you want. Some people call it feedback. Others call it feed forward. Other people call it advice. <laughs> whatever you want is somebody else's opinion, not yours. And what I found is there's actually a secret trick that helps you get better. Some leaders go, hey, uh, give me some feedback. That's ever going to work. <laughs> or even tell me how to be better. Well, that might work. But if you actually have a little bit of self-awareness and say, hey, I'm trying to be a better listener. Can you give me some advice on how I can actually do that better? I'd really appreciate it. 
So naming something you actually want to grow in gives people a bit more permission to say something because they're like, oh, at least you're like semi-aware of something. And that encourages your colleagues and people on your team and maybe people report to you do that. So I employ that a lot because if I say, yeah, I'm trying to be more empathetic, I'm trying to be a better listener, I'm trying to be more inspiring, naming those gives people a bit more permission. So that's a secret but really powerful way to do it. And the other word I just use is advice. Again, the studies have found that advice is easier to give than feedback because feedback is backwards looking and can sound like you're trying to be critical, whereas advice is forward looking and it's giving you ideas. So people are going to find that a little more palatable (laughs) than maybe feedback. We tend to a lot of times give advice, not as much seek advice. So what you're saying is (laughs) seek the advice for that self-awareness love the way you framed it. It's really important. And I know it's been important in your own journey too. But here you are, you spent 20 plus years on a journey of self-awareness as an evangelist, time in the Philippines and back in the States. Why would a tech company be willing to hire you after all these years away from tech? Okay. This is another wild and crazy story, actually. So my life has been full of wild and crazy stories. So the first one actually was I went to Cal and I graduated on Saturday, May 25th. And the reason I remember my graduation date is I got married on Sunday, May 26th. (laughs) So my graduation, a little bit of an anticlimactic because I'm like, I'm getting married the next day. But at least you remember the date. I remember it was the day before my wedding. And then I went to the Philippines two weeks later as a missionary. So it was like a wild adventure. So 23 years in, about 10 years ago, we underwent a bit of a personal change in our life. My wife's health wasn't doing so great. She needed to really take some time to focus on dealing with that. And we were doing the ministry work together. So we decided to make a career pivot. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Well, I love technology. I like to learn. You know, I'm pretty smart and I'm good with people. So how about something technical and how about something sales related? So I basically wound up applying for a job at Oracle as a solutions architect, sales engineer, whatever you want to call it. And it was totally wild. I literally had zero (laughs) experience. I'd never done it before in my life. But I had a good friend, his relationships. I had a good friend named Jeff who called his friend at Oracle named Ali. And Jeff was like, hey, I got this really good friend. He's really smart. You might want to hire him for this sales engineering role because you've been looking for one for a while and you should talk to him. And Ali was like, oh, great. What's his experience? What's he been doing? And Jeff, don't worry about it. Just talk to him. (laughs) So I get on the phone with Ali. We're talking for about 10 minutes. He goes, oh, so what have you been doing? And I said, well, I've been an evangelist and a minister for the last 23 years. (laughs) Silence. There was literally silence for about a minute on the phone. I think he dropped the phone. What the heck am I talking to you for? So anyway, What happened was he said, look, as a favor to my friend, I'll bring you in for an interview. You have to deliver a presentation on this technology, this database technology. You have to learn it in a week and just do it. And we're really looking for some of some experience. So you probably have no chance of being hired, but who knows? If you kill it, we'll maybe give you a chance. So what happened was he set up a sort of a virtual interview, I think just to humor me. But then I sent him my resume and he saw something in the resume that made him go, oh, he's got a degree in electrical engineering. Maybe there's some potential. So he brought me in person and I interviewed with him and his colleague manager and their VP. And I killed the interview. I learned the technology. I picked it up and I got a lot of input and feedback from my friends who were in the tech industry. Like they told me, do this, do this, say this. So I killed it. 
the VP basically at the end of the conversation says, so how much money do you want to make? And uh, offered me a job. So it was quite miraculous, actually. <laughs> and of course, I have faith. And I believe there's a bit of that miraculous element along with the hard work. I and my friends were all praying. <laughs> so that's how I got back into the tech industry. But the interesting thing was after two years, a manager position became open and I applied for it. And I was competing against two other people who'd been there like 10 years and 12 years. But I was selected to be the manager. And it was because of the social and emotional intelligence skills. And it was because I was actually trying to be a giver. Like when the other two were asked, why would you want to be a manager? They gave different responses. I want to grow my career, different things that they talked about. But I said, I want to help my team be more successful. I want to develop people and help them become a better version and more successful version of themselves. So the VP is, I want you to be the manager. So it was that idea of the emotional side, as well as the, I want to help other people side that actually made me more appealing. So after literally two years in the tech industry, I started managing a team of solutions architects. And then I came to AWS after four years of being there. But that's a credit both to you, Rich, and also the VP and the culture at Oracle. One of the challenges that a lot of leaders and organizations have is that when they talk about the priorities, those don't necessarily align with who gets promoted in the organization. So the person that has the best technical skills ends up becoming a manager and doing a horrible job as a manager or the person who is the best salesperson becomes a sales manager and does a horrible job as a sales manager. So it's credit to your emotional intelligence, but also the VP and Oracle for prioritizing that in promotion, not just the technical skills. Yes, absolutely. It was an amazing company to work at. I loved my colleagues. I loved the leaders I got to work with. And I'm eternally grateful for even the initial interview and those three people saying, hey, I'm going to offer you a job because I'm not sure anybody else would have actually, <laughs> at least at the level that I got it. It was pretty amazing. So many kudos to them. I'm very grateful. Now, what got you to move on from Oracle to join Amazon? After spending some time there, I saw a lot of my colleagues were looking at Amazon as an incredible company to continue their career. So the person who hired me at Oracle, actually all three of the people who hired me at Oracle are now at Amazon. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's have a conversation. So they basically encouraged me to take a look and I wound up going, obviously amazing company, innovation. And one of the most beautiful things I love about Amazon is how we actually really treat customers. Like we have this leadership principle that undergirds everything we do, and it's basically customer obsession. I can say that I have never met a group of people that are more obsessed with helping their customers succeed than Amazon. It's really true. It's not just a saying. And so it's actually very refreshing to have that meaningful work. So from a, both a development perspective and a company culture perspective, and just innovation and excitement really inspired me to come. So I've been here about five and a half years. And I first started as a salesperson for a year, and then I served as the global business development leader for Aurora Postgres database of all things, very technical. <laughs> but then during that time was basically when I started the EQ movement and Amazon. I basically started teaching people about emotional intelligence, started doing little talks, then bigger talks and bigger talks. And that was pretty much like a passionate side project. And over about three and a half years, we created a community called the EQ to Amazon community that now has 50,000 people across all parts of Amazon globally. As part of that, we also have a subset of people called EQ evangelists of all things. 
And they helped me basically give talks. Now it's about 170,000 people have actually delivered some kind of EQ talk to, and then also 10,000 customers. So we're actually doing this both internally and externally up to the point I thought, maybe I should do this full time. Like I'm doing this off the side of my desk. So again, beautiful thing about Amazon is you can make almost anything happen if it can benefit other people. So I wrote a narrative, we call it a six pager. And I floated up to a senior leader. I said, hey, how about we create a new role? Worldwide Head of Epic Leadership, which stands for Empathy, Purpose, Inspiration, and Connection. And how about I do it in a higher team and will help elevate the emotional, social intelligence of Amazonians? And he said, heck yeah, let's do it. So I've been doing this now for the last seven months. That is outstanding in that you married your passion with a need that exists in all organizations. You saw the need within Amazon, and then the leadership was willing to let you run with it to make a difference, which I'm very familiar with Amazon. For the podcast, I had a conversation with John Rossman, who had launched yeah. the web services, has written the Amazon Way series of books, and Hyatt, who was Jeff Bezos's first executive partner. So familiar with some of the leadership principles that Amazon and approaches, I'm sure you had to also communicate a return or a potential return for spending time and effort on epic leadership. How are you and how is Amazon looking at that return on investment of the effort that you and everyone is putting into emotional intelligence? There's a really interesting thing that's going on at Amazon, but also in the world at large. I know you're aware of this. The corporate employee-employer landscape is dramatically shifting. And uh, the powers that be at Amazon, they're really smart. They're amazing people. They realize that what got us here ain't going to get us there. And we've been one of the most innovative and successful companies in the world for the last 28 years. You know what? Times they are a-changing, so we need to evolve along with them. And the leadership principles obviously undergird everything we do. So last July, we actually had a seismic event by adding two new leadership principles. Customer obsession, deliver results, bias for action, earn trust, they've all been there. We added strive to be Earth's best employer and success and scale bring broad responsibility. Within the context of that first one, strive to be Earth's best employer, it says things like leaders lead with empathy. They have fun at work. They make it easy for others to have fun. They're invested in the personal success of their employees. So in many ways, we were explicitly saying that we are really going to be focusing on the employee experience and having that be top-notch just as much as we're focusing on the customer experience and having that be top-notch. I know so many incredible leaders across Amazon who serve customers and their employees, but you could also get away with just serving the customer and not do so much for employee if you just focused on certain parts of it. So we made it explicit. So we're going through this evolution. And my program is actually one of the things that is helping drive us so that we can be striving to be our best employer. A really quite exciting time. It's really a pivotal time. And of course, so many companies are realizing that as well. The pandemic certainly was a big thing that drove us to realize that we have to care about the personal and emotional lives. But along with that, obviously, the drive for inclusion, diversity, equity, and the newer generations that are coming into the workforce who really want meaningful, purposeful work with also work-life balance. All those things happening together are quite amazing. 
What's outstanding about the program, as you're saying, with the shifting landscape, a lot of organizations have made the right statements about the importance of their people and empathy in the workplace. This is following through with actions, which is really important. So you mentioned epic empathy, purpose, inspiration, and connection. And I know you are also a big fan of Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset, as am I, which just to underline for people, I've run into a lot of leaders that don't necessarily believe emotional intelligence can be developed. So it can be developed. Therefore, how do you go about developing some of these competencies, some of these capabilities in the trainings that you offer? Love your call out that it is developable. The fact is we have our personality, we have our IQ, we have our EQ. Those are the three things that essentially work together to determine how we think and act. IQ and per se actually are somewhat flexible depending on who you ask. There's varying degrees of flexibility there, but EQ is completely flexible. A majority of it is absolutely developable. And I'm actually a living testament to that. Let's just say that no one would accuse me of having any in my first 20 years of life. And all of it over the last 30 years has been developed. But what we do in our trainings is multiple things. One of them is just making people aware that there's this whole realm of skills. It's called emotional intelligence. And it absolutely accounts for a big part of your success. Right? Goldman did some research where he found that it can be up to 85% of your long-term success because once you're smart enough, it's all emotional, social skills after that. So helping people realize there's this whole field of research that can make a difference. And then what we do is we try to activate both the intellectual side because, you know, we're a nerdy bunch at Amazon, but that way we like data, we like science. So what I tell people is emotions are data. They're like really important data points that we put in. So there's a lot of research to help even the skeptics go, oh, there seems to be some science behind that. You know, there's Carol Dweck, there's Adam Grant, there's Dan Goldman, you name it, Mark Brackett, all these pretty smart people who've done a lot. And then we try to get them to experience some of it and put a little bit into practice and see the benefit. I think a really important thing is people have tried a lot of different emotional intelligence initiatives, different places, and they've had varying degrees of success. And I would say the least successful ones are the ones that don't align with people's own goals and motives and desires. And maybe they sound a little fluffy. What is it? You're sitting around a campfire holding hands and singing Kumbaya? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That is not going to fly, especially at a corporate environment like Amazon. So I have talked about, hey, would you like to manage your stress more effectively? Would you like to be happier? Would you like to increase your influence? Would you like to prevent burnout and be more resilient? Who's going to say no to any of those things? They're like, heck yeah. So I go, well, if the answer is yes, it's emotional intelligence skills that help you actually develop it. So I think having that empathy for the audience and speaking to their felt needs is really the key to really getting anything done. I mean, over the past few years, that's what literally everybody's been talking about. And seeing these skills be employed to help them actually, wow, I did some breathing exercise and I actually was less stressed out. And I was like, felt so much better. Or wow, I use this gratitude and reframing. And it really helped me think more clearly about this high emotion situation. That really works. Those things, they see a benefit and they want to continue on their EQ learning journey. I love the fact that you have empathy for the trainees, Rich. A lot of times the way organizations approach this is as if they want people to open up their mouth like little kids and shove the food in there. It's good for you. Yeah. And that causes 
a backlash of people saying, I don't want this. And I've been involved in human skills training and development for most of my career. Sometimes people are designated to go and it's almost like an insult to them. What's wrong with me? If I'm sent to a computer class, that's okay. But if it's people skills, then you're saying there's something wrong with me. So yeah. what you're doing is you're approaching it with that real empathy that the entire training process needs to be viewed from the perspective of the attendees. So when yeah. you offer this at Amazon, are people opting in or is it that the group heads or VPs decide we're going to have everyone in this group go through emotional intelligence development? I would say the vast majority are people who are opting in. I'll tell you, there's actually many different ways to engage. This may sound a little goofy, but it's really an omni-channel experience that we actually try to give people. Because there's the traditional avenues people have, like get a bunch of people together, take a day or two days, have a workshop, do a bunch of stuff, send you home, and everyone feels great. It's not bad, but it doesn't necessarily produce change. Just because everyone loved your training doesn't mean anything actually was different <laughs> a month later. We all know that, the dirty little secret of training. And so I'm aware of that. I'm like, I'm not into that. We do provide training, but we have an entire community. And so I think of it like a funnel. You join the funnel in some way. And my hope is that you continue to go deeper and deeper into that funnel because you see the value that it has for your own life and the value it can have to other people around you, whether you're an official leader or not. So those are the things that I work on. And one of the things that we have is we have the an EQ newsletter that I send out. It goes to tens of thousands of people. And every day there's a dose of EQ goodness that people <laughs> basically get. And it's really just from my reading. I read lots of articles a day. I basically find the ones that I think are really great. I put them in my queue and I send one out every day. And that has become the largest opt-in mailing list that I know of at Amazon. There are people who have said, this is the best perk at Amazon. It's not even like an actual perk. It's just you <laughs> sending out an email every day. And in the midst of hundreds of all these emails screaming at me, Yours is the one I make sure I read because it's like a dose of goodness. Here's how to be better at managing stress. Here's how to be more empathetic. Here's how to be more successful. So that constantly puts on people's minds. So there's that. And then all the way to a full day workshop that we can run with people to train their skills. I believe that there's different strokes for different folks. So we offer a lot of different things that people can avail of in the fashion that makes the most sense for them so they can grow and succeed. That's an outstanding perspective. I've seen over the years that there is some value for the one day, two day immersion of people getting involved. However, change comes about over a period of time based on repeated exposure, the right intentions of the individuals and repeated action. I love the omni-channel way. There is an element of community. There is an element of daily dose of inspiration or insights. So lots of different things where people can develop if they choose to on that path because it's an ongoing journey. Now, some of the people who are listening to this, Rich, are inspired, say, fantastic, this is great. However, I don't work at Amazon. I'm leading a team of 20 people or an organization of 200. What can leaders of teams or organizations do in order to be able to encourage the same kind of development that you are doing at Amazon with a focus on emotional intelligence? I love that question because this is something I talk about a lot. And the thing I want everyone to know is that we can all make a difference. 
we all have a sphere of influence. Some of it is smaller, some of it's medium, some of it's galactically large. We all have a sphere of influence. So if we start small and we start today, we can influence the people around us in a positive way. Because here's the thing. Everyone's looking for more hope and positivity. Goodness gracious, there's so much crap flying around and so much negativity. It's, oh my gosh. So if you actually stand for something that gives hope and positivity, people are like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And believing that we can, when I first started about four and a half years ago, it was nothing big at all. It was like, I know a few things about emotional intelligence. Let me do a lunch and learn with the people in my building. About 75 people showed up and let me give a talk on some skills that might help you. I worked with our office manager who ordered some sandwiches and I gave a talk. We had a great conversation and people were like, this is great because we would have lunch and learns and have like partners come in and different technology leaders come in. It was all like work stuff. I'm like, let me give something that might help you with your career and personal life. And then I started sending out a few emails here, a few emails there. But three things I think of are we all can influence our sphere of influence by making certain things common, expected, and rewarded. And we only just have a small group of people. What are the common things that we want to model and then encourage other people to do? What do we now say as our expectation? What are maybe our team norms? And then what can be rewarded? Hey, great job. Or, hey, I really appreciate that. I was really inspired. I was delivering a training in Europe and the country leader from Madrid had this incredible idea. She basically sent an optional calendar invite to everyone in the entire country on her sales team for a 15-minute time block on Friday afternoons to send thank you notes to each other. And you don't have to do it. You can decline it. But most people accepted it. So now for 15 minutes every Friday, her entire country buzzes all over the place with each other (laughs) with thank you notes. And I'm like, what an incredible example of common, expect, and rewarded. So we can all do these little things that make a difference. You may think, oh, that's ridiculous. Just thank you notes. Guess what? When you get one, and you send one, you create dopamine and serotonin. We're all a little brighter. So even simple things like that can make such a huge difference. Love that perspective, Rich. It is within our sphere of control. A lot of times there's a tendency to point up, point sideways, point down for what needs to change before we can do something ourselves. So whether we lead a team of a few or lead an organization of tens of thousands, we do have control and love how you put it, make it common, expected, and rewarded. That's an outstanding way to make it part of the culture of the organization. That culture is another one of those buzzwords that everyone talks about. Culture is practice, and this is a great way when you see something to be of value, like emotional intelligence, make it part of the practice. Amazon culture, we call it mechanism. Don't rely on good intentions because those don't really work because in general, people already have good intentions. So tell them to have better intentions doesn't change anything. Creating some mechanisms actually caused some behavioral change. And I will say I'm pretty encouraged and inspired by the response I've gotten from leaders all around me in Amazon. There are many people who've really begun, maybe for the first time in their life, this journey of delving a little more into the emotional side, as Brene (laughs) Brown would say, being more vulnerable. And for a bunch of super engineering type people, it's like scary territory. But I've been very encouraged by the fact that very senior people have been like, you know what, I'm willing to look at these things because I do actually understand the value. And so I do have some motivation to move a bit in that direction. That's why I love the way you approach it, Rich. I truly believe that the experience that we all shared over the past couple of years to different levels 
our lives were disrupted and our need for that emotional connection became more apparent to us, whether it is in our personal lives and also in our professional lives. So it's an opportunity for leaders to lead differently. And as you said, whether it's at Amazon and elsewhere, the employees want that, deserve it, both in terms of how they expect their leaders to behave and how they expect to interact with each other. So this is a great moment for us to reinvent the future of work, making sure emotional intelligence is a big part of that. Absolutely. And it's interesting, HBR actually just came with this article where they had one of the top executive recruiting firms share their data on essentially job recs and what they're looking for in C-level executives. They found that from like 2005 and late 2017, there was a pretty dramatic shift in what they're looking for. You know, before that, it was how to financial material resources, spreadsheets, strategic plans, all that. And those are still important. But what came to the fore was that the most important thing they're now looking for are social skills, <laughs> which fall directly into the realm of emotional intelligence. It's basically how to interact with other humans in a productive and healthy way. So it's interesting. And the reality is, yeah, it's shifting. We can't get away anymore with either being an automaton or treating others as automatons. And so in that sense, I really believe the pandemic created something good. The pandemic itself, obviously not good. But what it forced people to do was recognize, oh, my goodness, every single one of my employees, my managers, my company, my customers actually are human beings. There's that emotional side that we have to consider. And boy, it's tough for some people, but boy, it is also incredibly rewarding when you're actually willing to start going in that direction. Take some courage, but the dividends are amazing. You really can bring more of your actual full self to work. You can be more invested, more inspired by the things that you do. It takes a lot of courage. And one of the things I say to my girls, Rich, because they stress sometimes about what they're going to study and what they're going to do. One of the things I tell them is, first of all, the jobs of the future are not here yet. We don't know what those would be. <laughs> However, what we do know is that with AI becoming much more capable, a lot of jobs are going to get done through technology and with AI. The emotional part of the connection, that human connection and emotional intelligence, at least it's not going to happen in my lifetime. So double up on the emotional intelligence part. I love that. Dan Pink's first book, The Whole New Mind, talks about right brain, left brain. And yeah, all those left brain things are kind of being taken over a bit more by AI automation. And so what makes us uniquely valuable and differentiated as humans is that right brain and those social skills. So yeah, very true. Even just kind of even look at the leadership models that have evolved over the last hundred years from all the way in World War I, command and control to what we have now, more of a servant leadership type idea. We've been evolving in that direction along with the technology that's been evolving. I think just general awareness, right? Um, so I love it. And I love the advice you're giving to your girls. It's great advice. Work on those social skills yeah. <laughs> because they're really, really valuable. They are. And I appreciate all the great work that you've done. I know you have lots of outstanding content on your website. Before we get to that, would love to know, are there leadership resources or practices you recommend in addition to some of your own for people to delve into emotional intelligence deeper and also understand how to lead with greater emotional intelligence? 
If I were to say a couple of fundamental things, I'd say, number one, be a learner. Satya Nadella likes to say, be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And the two greatest ways to learn are books you read and the people. So if you want to improve your emotional tells, read books that stimulate your thinking. They may be around emotional tells, maybe around leadership, maybe around psychology, maybe around just things that help you with your interpersonal social skills. Dan Goldman's got emotional intelligence. Mark Brackett has permission to feel. Travis Bradbury's EQ 2.0. Those are kind of like three fundamental ones. And then have people around you that are willing to help you out, give you honest feedback. I read one time somebody said, you need loving critics in your life. People who love you and really think you're great (laughs) and care about you, but are willing to criticize you and tell you the truth. We need those to be able to help us to grow. And then the second thing that I'd say is learn to be more aware of yourself on a regular basis and be able to manage your stress. Because a lot of people talk about leadership theories, but if you don't know how to manage your stress, it's gonna be really hard to be empathetic. That's just reality. Stress is one of the biggest killers of empathy if we can't manage it properly. So things like some kind of reflection, mindfulness. Some people like to do some meditation every day. Others like prayer. Others maybe just take a walk out in nature on a regular basis, but invest in yourself and take some time to calm yourself and reflect. That's really important. And I think that's one of the things we don't do in this really fast paced world. It's like, I don't have time. I literally don't even have five minutes a day to think about (laughs) stuff. Are you ever going to improve if you don't do that? And be a learner, have the relationships around you, and then be willing to do some self-reflection. I think those are three keys. That's outstanding advice. Now, Rich, where can the audience find out more about you? Sign up for your newsletter. I know you've got a lot of outstanding content. So I do have a website and it's richardhua.co. It's just my name. It's nothing fancy, but it's got a lot of great resources. It's got interviews that I have done, TED Talks that I recommend, books that have made a huge influence in my life, and then a repository of some of the newsletters I've sent. Now, the newsletter I send generally is internal. So it's like to the tens of thousands of people on Amazon, but I have put some of the ones on the website as well. So if you go there, you'll find a wealth of resources that'll help you along on your journey. And uh, I did just hire my daughter to help revamp my website for top dollars. (laughs) I hope you're paying her top dollar now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes, it's called a college education. I'm paying top dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rich, I really appreciate both this conversation and the great thinking and work you've been doing on emotional intelligence, making it accessible not only to people at Amazon, but also beyond talking about the value of it. This is truly an opportunity for all of us to become more aware, lead with greater emotional intelligence. And I love the fact that you are a big advocate for all of us becoming learners. That by itself can make a big difference. Thank you for helping me learn more about emotional intelligence and the opportunity to share it with the partnering leadership community. Thank you so much, Richard Waugh. You betcha. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone enjoys this, gets a lot out of it, and has a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review of the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and forward the conversation to a friend or colleague so you can help more people discover their purpose grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.